Hello and welcome to Sacred Heart Radio. I'm Father Michael Delcom, pastor of our community, and I'm grateful you've joined us today. Before we dive into today's message, I want to thank you for your support. At Sacred Heart, we're super excited about our mission to encounter Jesus and become missionary disciples. None of this would be possible without the incredible generosity and dedication of our supporters like yourself. Whether it's through prayer, time, or financial contributions, you allowed us to carry out our mission and touch the lives of countless individuals. If our ministry has helped you along the way, either with this podcast or with our online streaming, please consider financially partnering with us if you're not doing so already. We want to continue our virtual presence in an ever-challenging world, and your support allows us to do that. You can visit shbrusard.org and click the Give button. There you can find ways to support and partner with us on our mission. Another way to support us in our mission is just to share this content with others. Again, on behalf of our team, thank you for listening today. Let's get to today's content as we grow together. Good morning. Now, I know before I get into my homily, the question on some of y'all's minds, at least probably the question after which mass do I need to go on next Sunday, is, Father, what color is that? Is that salmon? Is that pink? Pepto-Bismol? It's rose. And... It's an interesting thing because rose is a shade of violet. We think of it typically as a shade of red, but it's really a a shade of violet or purple, which is what we normally wear during these preparatory or penitential seasons of Advent and Lent. But one weekend in each, both Advent and Lent, we break out the rose-colored vestments to signal rejoicing, to signal joy to remind us that we're going through these time of preparation in anticipation of the joy of either Christmas or Easter. In fact, today is called Gaudate Sunday. Gaudate means rejoice in Latin. And there is much for us to rejoice about, for we rejoice at the coming of our King in the flesh at Christmas. And what better way for us on this Sunday of rejoicing of joy than to reflect upon the individual who had a very important role in the coming of Christ, that of the Blessed Virgin Mary, as we've been going through these last few weeks in our preaching series on Mary. So in week one, we talked about why do we need someone like Mary in salvation history? And we said it's because there was a problem. The problem was man fell in the garden. Adam and Eve sinned. Original sin came into the world, death, destruction, Calamity, cataclysm, all these things came into the world. But God did not abandon humanity. Instead, God had a plan for the salvation of men through his son coming into the world via the incarnation, becoming flesh and dying upon the cross. But for that plan to succeed, he needed a particular person, and that particular person was the Blessed Virgin Mary. She is the new Eve. She's talked about in Scripture as the woman. Anytime we hear the woman in Scripture, either in prophecy or in, uh, in Jesus talking to Mary, what he's saying is, you are the new Eve. I recognize you as this. I recognize you for your royal dignity, for the uniqueness of who and what you are, the unique relationship you have with me. And then we talked about last week, in week two, how did God make Mary? How did he handmake the handmaiden of the Lord? Because we have that double play on word, handmade, 
being both one who serves, but also something being handmade is something being particularly crafted for the role and purpose it has. It's special. Mary was handmade by God. In fact, as God is telling Eve the great first proclamation of the gospel that I will put enmity between you and the serpent, the woman's offspring and your offspring, he already has Mary in his mind, in his eternal mind. He already has Mary there, forming her, waiting for the time to bring her into the world because Mary was preserved by the Immaculate Conception from the stain of original sin. Thus, she is a perfect vessel because if God told the Israelites to take so much time in hand making these items that only held a portion of his glory in the Old Testament, how much more effort do you think that God's going to take with the vessel that's going to bear him in the fullness of divinity and humanity? He's going to take a little bit of effort, I think. And that is what we see in the Blessed Virgin Mary. And then we then talked about the miracle of the virginal birth of how this is important. How, as we're talking about these things of the Blessed Virgin Mary, what they're really teaching us is things about Christ. They're teaching us truths and realities because if we look at the virginal birth, it's like, well, that's a convoluted way maybe to come into the world. But if you think about it, what does the virginal birth show us, the virginal birth of Jesus, but that Jesus' true paternity is God the Father? No doubt about it miraculously comes into the world. Only one that can do that is God the Father, and that is his heavenly Father, his true Father. But then we see Mary still involved because God wanted to come in a particular way for salvation to bring about. And thus we see Mary's motherhood come to be manifest. And that is what we're talking about this week, Mary's motherhood. Because here's the thing, I think we can all pretty much agree that Mary is the mother of Jesus, right? We could pretty much agree. We see it in Scripture. It makes sense. It works. It's what happened. In John 1.14, we read, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we saw His glory, the glory of the Father's only Son, full of grace and, great, and, great, uh, and, and truth. Grace and truth. God became man and dwelt among us. This is, a, this is a unique moment in salvation history because nothing like it has happened and nothing ever will again. God became like us so that we might become like him. And in this motherhood, we see Mary bearing Christ, bearing God in her womb. And because of that, in the year 431 of the Council of Ephesus, the fathers of the church, the bishops, they declared Mary a particular title because there were some problems going on. There was heresies. There was questions of who and what Jesus was. And so just as they did in prayer, going to Mary for intercession in prayer, they went to her to resolve this issue. And how did they go to her? By giving her a title. They call her Theotokos. Theo meaning God, tokos meaning bear. Mary is the God-bearer, for she bore God in the fullness of his divinity within her womb. She bore God. And thus by this title, the one whom she conceived as man by the Holy Spirit, who truly became her son according to the flesh, was none other than the Father's eternal Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity. Hence, the church confesses that Mary is truly the mother of God. She is truly the mother of Jesus. And this is very important theologically for us because here's what happens. 
There's the, the Council of Ephesus, so they come up with a creed, and then we have the Council of Nicaea because these heresies continue to persist. And what are these heresies? These heresies are wrong or unorthodox thinking about who and what Christ is because there's one camp of heretics. They're declaring that Jesus is not divine, that he did not have the fullness of divinity within him, that he was just merely a man who was imbued with graces of the Holy Spirit, and that was it. He was not God in the flesh because they could not comprehend the mystery that God in his great love for us would do such a thing, that he would humble himself and humiliate himself, take on our humanity for our sake. They could not comprehend that, and so they said he could not have been divine. That just makes Jesus just a prophet then. What good is that? I mean, it's a good thing prophets are good, but... They can't take away the sins of the world. They are not, they can't be the unblemished lamb offered in sacrifice for the restoration of all men. Then you have the other side of the spectrum of these heresies where they said Jesus was not human. He only appeared to be human. If he only appeared to suffer and die upon the cross, what kind of sacrifice is that? If he could not be the unblemished lamb that suffered and died under Pontius Pilate, and rose again, then what good is that if he only appeared to be born, if he only appeared to suffer and die? How does that redeem our humanity then? How does it lift it up from where it was? And then there's the middle where some heresies say that Jesus is only partially divine or partially human. But in that case, he's not fully either, and you can't really say what he is then. If you can't say he's not divine, fully divine, if you can't say he's not fully human, and you're saying he's some type of amalgam, then that doesn't, it doesn't work. It's not a 70, 30, 40, 60 percentage, you know? We as Catholics, we profess in the Nicene Creed, which is the ancient creed, I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages. He came down from heaven and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. We profess in the creed Jesus is both God and man. And thus we can rightly say that Mary is the mother of God insofar as she has given birth to the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ the Messiah. And we see this in Scripture. God was preparing us when we read in the Old Testament of prophecies of the Messiah. They call him the Son of God and the Son of Man. That's highlighting both his divine nature and his human nature in one person, this great mystery of God in the flesh. And in this, then, as we agree that Mary is the mother of Jesus, we can then make the theological leap to say that she is the mother of the church. Because if Christ is the mystical head of the, is the, head of the mystical body of the church, and Mary is the mother of that mystical head, then she is also mother of that mystical body. She is also mother. And the theological roots of this title goes back to the early church, the fathers of the church, those holy and studious bishops who were within three to five generations of Christ being around of the last apostle, St. John the Evangelist. He died in 80 AD. Think about that. 431, they're talking about this. 80 AD, that's about a 250-year difference. That's only a few generations. And here's the thing. The faith was communicated not through this Preaching, yes, in one sense publicly, but it was mostly communicated with one generation passing on the truths of belief from one generation to the next, father to son, mother to daughter. And thus these beliefs 
when they are being codified in writing for the first time, they're not new. It wasn't just someone said, oh, let's just put a statue of Mary up here and do some prayers to her, and then it caught on. No, no, no. This is part of the ancient belief of Catholics, of Christians. It goes back to the earliest centuries. And they often spoke of Mary as the new Eve, as the woman. Because just as woman, Eve, was the mother of all things, as we hear in Genesis 3.20, that's why she's called Eve, it says, because she's the mother of all living things. The woman, Mary, was the mother of all those living in Christ. In Revelation 12, 17, St. John the Evangelist said this, women's offspring are those, the, that says that this woman's offspring are those who keep the commandments of God and bear testimony to Jesus, that those who do these things are children of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And here's the reality, Mary and Jesus, they're inseparable. There's no way to divorce them because of the unique relationship they have. Just as a mother cannot divorce the reality that a child is hers. You cannot take that away. There is a spiritual reality. There's a physical reality. There's a genetic reality there that a mother can be separated, but that's still her child. They're inseparable. In the same way, the church and Christ are inseparable as he is the head of the mystical body. We are that body. Therefore, Mary is inseparable from the church. Mary's role in the church is inseparable from her union with Christ and flows directly from that union. The union of the mother with the son and the work of salvation is made manifest from the time of Christ's virginal conception until his death. He, Jesus, is head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that in all things he himself might be preeminent. That's what we hear in Colossians from St. Paul. And if this is true, then in our baptisms, we are brought into that mystical body. And if we are brought into that mystical body, at the moment of baptism, Mary claims us as her children. She claims us in our baptism. Because if Mary is the mother of the body of Christ, in the order of grace, she becomes our mother in that moment. For we hear from St. Anselm talking to Mary, you are the mother of justification. She's talk, he's talking about that justification is Christ and of the justified, that is us. The mother of reconciliation, Christ is our reconciliation, and we, of the, she is mother of the reconciled. She is the mother of salvation itself and of the saved. Christ is our salvation, and we are the ones who are saved. And Jesus, he, you know, Mary is present throughout all this time. She's present in Scripture, we see her raising our Lord, but we see Mary's motherhood given as a gift in John's gospel. Jesus reinforces the motherhood of Mary over the church when he says, woman, again, he's saying, you are the new Eve, you are the queen, you are the one, you are special. Behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. John, St. John the Evangelist, the beloved disciple, he stands in the place of all Christians in that moment to receive Mary as our 
mother. And thus it's not just for him to take care of her, which he did, but she has been given for us to take care of us. And thus we can say Mary is mother of the church, but she's not just mother, our mother, in this general nebulous sense. She is our mother individually. As I said, in our baptism, we receive her as our mother. For Mary is our mother in the order of grace, as we hear in Catechism, paragraph 966. And in 968, we read, just like our earthly mother feeds us and advocates on our behalf for our good here on earth, so does Mary for our supernatural needs in the order of grace. She's like any good mother. She desires what is good for her children. What greater good that is that than to encounter her son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and for us, her children, to be saved, to have salvation dawn upon us. And thus she works in intercession just as if any of us would go to our earthly mother and say, hey, I need help. And they offer it. Mary does that for us. In a wholly singular way, she cooperated by her obedience, faith, hope, and burning charity in the Savior's work of restoring supernatural life to souls. For this reason, she is a mother to us in the order of grace in the reality of salvation history. And Mary's petitions, they're unique because you and I, we pray for each other, but our prayers can always be tinged by the reality of our fallen human nature, the effects of original sin, our concupiscence. But Mary didn't have that. She doesn't have that problem because of the Immaculate Conception. And because of that, when she goes to her son in intercession, she goes with a pure heart that desires petitions to be answered that are for the good and salvation of souls. And she does it with delight and ease because she's not held back by the stain of sin. And thus, her petitions are always in accord with God's will for the salvation of souls, our souls. She is always petitioning for her children to her son. She's always going to Jesus. Jesus, I got another one that needs help. I got another one. I got, uh, this one needs help. That one needs help. Jesus, open the storehouses of heaven for them. Pour forth your grace that poured aside from your sacred heart to them. She does that without ceasing for us. We see it in Scripture. We see it at the wedding at Cana. When the wine ran short, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, again, he's recognizing her as the new Eve, as this woman who holds a special role, as the mother of all those who will live in him. Woman, how does your concern affect me? It sounds kind of harsh at first, but Mary, she had that faith to know that her son would answer her petition. For how does she respond? Does she try to plead with her son? No. She says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. She says that because she has complete faith that her son will answer her petition. And he does, abundantly, miraculously, beautifully, raising the reality of marriage in that moment to the sacramental dignity that it has. All because Mary said they have no wine. Do whatever he tells you. And we believe that the Holy Mother of God, this new Eve, the mother of the church, continues in heaven to exercise her maternal role 
on behalf of the members of Christ's mystical body that is us. And this is a beautiful reality. We go to her, and I encourage you, if you haven't gone to Mary in a, in a, in a, in a while, if there's something going on in your life, go to her because anytime we go to Mary, what does she do but take us by the hand like a little child and brings us to her son, Jesus. And thus, anytime we focus upon her, it's the same thing. She is not a light to herself. She is but a mirror that reflects the light of Christ into our lives. And that is a beautiful reality. That is a wonderful reality that even if we feel abandoned in this world, we know that we are not abandoned by Christ and by his mother. Next week, we will talk about how do we relate to Mary as mother now, particularly in the devotional life. What do we do? How do we foster this beautiful relationship that has been given to us by Christ as a gift? And we'll also clear up some misconceptions about the Blessed Virgin that maybe some of our Protestant brothers and sisters have. In this way, as we are journeying towards Christ, the entire time as we've been reflecting upon Mary, she has been guiding us towards her son this Advent. As we have gone through this preaching series, we have talked about, as we talk about Mary, we talk about Christ. And in this way, in this preaching series, she is doing that role that we speak of. How beautiful a gift and a really reason for us to rejoice this day as we have only a week until Christmas. Mary, mother of God and mother of the church and our mother, pray for us.